That concludes general questions. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. And I declare an interest as my wife is a serving police officer in Murray. Last week, the Chief Constable of Police Scotland, Ian Livingston, said the Scottish Government had, and this is a quote, clearly set out its spending priorities. Policing is not among those stated priorities. Is he right, First Minister? First Minister. Policing is very clearly a priority for this Government. It has been every uh, day, month, year uh, that this Government has been in office. I think that is demonstrated uh, by the fact that in Scotland uh, we have 32 officers per 10,000 uh, population. Uh, that compares uh, to the situation in England, of course, where the Conservatives are currently in government of just 23 police officers per 10,000 population. So that speaks, I think, uh, for itself. Uh, we are uh, increasing in this financial year the policing budget by uh, 40.5 million pounds. That brings the total budget to almost 1.4 billion pounds, uh, and that budget maintains our commitment to protect the police resource budget in real terms. Uh, the resource spending uh, review, of course, uh, I would make two points about that, uh, presiding officer. Uh, firstly, it does not represent uh, budgets. It is projecting ahead based on the financial information that we have right now. It is the responsibility each and every year for this government to put forward a budget and for this parliament to scrutinise uh, and pass that budget. But the second point I would make, which is one uh, I've made in this chamber uh, before, is that that resource spending review, the projections that have been made based on the information we had, it is of course constrained uh, by the fact that our budget is largely set uh, by Westminster governments and right now uh, yeah. those budgets are not keeping pace with inflation. Yeah. Uh, so if uh, Douglas Ross wants more money for this government to allocate and I very much hope we will be in that position then perhaps as well as, not instead of, but as well as asking me questions, he might want uh, to make one or two representations to his boss at Westminster. Douglas Ross. <laughs> It's not the questions I'm worried about, it's the answers. I mean, that is a dire warning from the Chief Constable of Police Scotland that the First Minister has just ignored and deflected, saying, look elsewhere, look at the issues in the rest of the UK. Look at the issues here in Scotland right now. They were hollow words from the First Minister saying policing is a priority when frontline officers are telling a very different story. I spoke with a police constable this morning who is frustrated at the state of policing in Scotland. This is what he told me. Staffing is horrendous. Too many officers are being left single crewed and covering entire towns on their own. Mm -hmm. Evidence to this Parliament's Justice Committee confirms what we've been told. There is a very strong letter from the Scottish Police Federation. Have you read this, First Minister? If not, here's what they say. Their members, the men and women who serve our communities, are overworked and undervalued. The letter continues, they tell us they are carrying more and more risk. They feel unsafe at their work. Mm -hmm. First Minister, do you accept frontline officers in Scotland don't believe policing is a priority for you and your government? First Minister. I absolutely accept the pressures that frontline police officers are under and I take any views that are expressed by those on the front line of the police or, or indeed any public service uh, very seriously indeed. My duty, the duty of my government is to make sure we are working with our public services to support them 
to the fullest possible extent. And let me again today take the opportunity to pay tribute uh, to the work of our police officers and indeed the staff who support them up and down the country every single day. In my previous answer, I did refer uh, very uh, directly to the situation here in Scotland because I think uh, the facts, the facts, presiding officer, uh, demonstrate the priority uh, that we attach to policing. I readily accept that it is the duty of government to demonstrate that each and every single day. Uh, so, for example, the total number of officers in Scotland now is higher uh, than the situation we inherited. Of course, that compares uh, with a 20,000 uh, reduction in police officers uh, where the Conservatives are in government. Uh, there are 32 officers per 10,000 population in Scotland compared to 23 in England and Wales. Uh, police Scotland, this, this goes directly uh, to the feeling, understandable feeling of pressure that police officers are under right now. Uh, police Scotland have uh, plans and trained to recruit an additional 300 officers in July, uh, in other words, the month uh, that is about to start. Uh, and let me turn to the issues uh, around pay for our police officers, which was one of uh, the issues uh, that the Scottish Police Federation uh, wrote about. Uh, these negotiations, of course, are ongoing, and it's important uh, that they are given the space to continue, and I hope positively conclude. Uh, but if you look again, and this goes directly to the question, presiding officer, because it's the, about the value we attach to policing and the priority we attach to policing. Um, in England and Wales, the lowest starting salary for a police officer is £21,654. In Scotland, in Scotland, members, a new members, police constable. Sorry, First Minister, members, we will hear the First Minister. First yes, Minister, if I could ask you this to. This is important, President Officer. It is an answer to the question. £21,654, just in case uh, Douglas Ross missed that figure. While in Scotland, a new police constable starts on £26,737. Uh, last year, my final point, Presiding Officer. Uh, last year, officers received a £700 pay uplift uh, and a separate non-consolidated payment of £250 in Scotland. Uh, in England and Wales, where the Conservatives are in, in power, uh, the majority of police officers received no increase in pay whatsoever. That's the difference in priority for policing. Douglas Ross. If you listen to that answer from the First Minister, it's as if our police officers should be congratulating her for everything yeah. she yeah. is doing. Yeah, I'm sorry. That is not the reality out with your bubble of Butte House, First Minister. Yeah, and clearly, absolutely. your spinners, your spinners are working overdrive because the facts are clear. Police officer numbers in Scotland are now at their lowest levels since 2008. The lowest levels since 2008. And again, in this hard-hitting letter from the Scottish Police Federation, Police officers have said, this is the police officers that the First Minister is speaking about, they have said that all they see from the government are self-congratulatory narratives that disguise reality. And we have seen it all over again today. Now, the First Minister mentioned pay. The Scottish Police Federation described the SNP government's latest pay offer as derisory. They say, and this is a direct quote, officers are incandescent at the current pay officer. They are beyond angry at how insulting it is. And I think they will be even more insulted to have heard the First Minister's response. Yeah. In response to the government's lowball offer, Scottish Police Federation members will take action from 5pm tomorrow. 
The Federation said this morning it is the most overt demonstration of action by our members in more than 100 years. Has the government considered the impact on frontline policing and public safety from their decision to make such a low offer to our police officers? First Minister. Now, the other point we should recognise, of course, presiding officer, is that police officers, like nurses, like doctors, like everybody across Scotland, uh, is suffering from the cost of living crisis yeah. exacerbated yeah. Living by a Conservative yeah. government. But let me to return to the important issues. Let me return. Yeah. And I, I think anybody can compare uh, the public sector pay offers uh, that are being made in Scotland to those being made by the Conservatives and again uh, draw conclusions about the higher value we attach to public sector workers here. But let me turn to the detail of the questions. I don't expect any police officer or any public sector worker to congratulate the government. The gratitude and congratulations are entirely from the government to those working hard across our country. Uh, but Douglas Ross is asking me about the value and the priority uh, that we attach to policing and therefore it is entirely appropriate um, and indeed necessary for me to point out the facts. The fact that we have higher number of police officers in Scotland than when this government took office. There are 300 new officers about to be recruited uh, from next month. Uh, we are increasing the budget uh, of the police in Scotland and police officers, uh, generally speaking, are paid more in Scotland than they are elsewhere in the UK. There is a pay negotiation underway. I would fully expect the Scottish Police Federation and any trade union and professional organisation to stand up for their members uh, during a pay negotiation. The Justice Secretary met with uh, the Scottish Police Federation uh, earlier this week or last week. It was a constructive discussion. I hope all sides will continue to work together constructively to ensure that a fair and affordable pay increase can be agreed for our police officers. Our police officers do deserve it and we will continue to value them and give policing the priority it deserves. The First Minister is on a different planet. Yeah. She's saying it was a constructive meeting between her Justice Secretary and the Federation, and the Federation said this morning that their members are now taking the most overt demonstration of action yeah. in more yeah. than a yeah. hundred yeah. years. And I asked a very specific question. I asked the First Minister, and this is what I said, has the government considered the impact on frontline policing and public safety? She never even answered no, that. No, Again, no. it was looking at the issues elsewhere, because the government has taken its eye off the ball here. Yeah, yeah. Resources yeah, yeah. are being used Again. elsewhere. Policing and justice is clearly not a priority anymore. And we can see the impact on public safety. Violent crime has risen to the highest ever level since Nicola Sturgeon became First Minister. Mm -hmm. That is a consequence of a distracted government, a government that doesn't focus on what really matters. It's what happens when the country's top priorities are set aside, when campaigning is put ahead of governing. First Minister, surely it's time for you to fully focus on supporting our police officers and keeping our streets safe and free of crime. First Minister. Points, presiding officer. Firstly, um, on the impact uh, of the SPF action, uh, of course, that's an operational matter for the chief constable, and I would have thought, I would have thought, Douglas Ross might know that the chief constable uh, has members, advised members. That thank you. We would all like to hear the response. Thank you. That the action uh, can be effectively managed in the short term via Police Scotland's operational capacity and resilience uh, subgroup. Uh, secondly, I would have thought any reasonable person. It would have welcomed that constructive pay negotiations are ongoing. I appreciate, I appreciate that is not 
That is not the way Tories go about things with public sector workers. They just offer them zero and tell them to go away. We sit down and have constructive pay negotiations. Um, and lastly, presiding officer, uh, on crime uh, levels, uh, the crime levels in uh, this country are at their lowest level since, I think, 1974. Uh, and that members, is partly because... Members, First Minister, First Minister, members, I cannot hear the First Minister, therefore I can only assume that other people cannot hear, and I'd be grateful if we could hear the First Minister. Thank the you. Conservatives don't want people to hear the answers, presiding right, officer, right. because the answers don't suit the narrative of the Scottish Conservatives. That is the reality. Crime levels at uh, amongst their lowest level since 1974, partly because of the value that we attach to policing, but more than that, presiding officer, uh, due to the great work that our police officers and their support staff do, which is why we will continue to support them in stark contrast to that part of the UK where the Conservatives are in government. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. On Tuesday, the Scottish Government published figures that showed the worst cancer waiting times on record. Even during COVID, cancer remains Scotland's biggest killer, with over 36,000 Scots dying of cancer since the start of the pandemic in March 2020. But can the First Minister tell us, in the last year, how many patients have missed the 62-day standard for starting cancer treatment? First Minister. Um, in terms of the cancer uh, waiting times, as Anna Sarwar knows, there are two key waiting times uh, standards. I'll come on to the 62-day one um, in a moment. Uh, the first is, of course, the 31-day target. That's from a decision to treat uh, to first treatment starting. Uh, that target, again, uh, as shown in the statistics this week, is being uh, met. Indeed, the median day uh, for treatment starting after a decision to treat has been taken is four uh, days. In terms of the 62-day uh, pathway, uh, that target is, is not being met. However, in the most recent quarter, again shown in the statistics this week, the NHS increased the number of patients uh, being treated on the 62-day pathway. That was an increase by over uh, 4% compared to the same quarter in 2019. We continue to see an increasing number of eligible cancer referrals and the priority of course is to ensure that these patients receive the care they need uh, quickly and as I said a moment ago once a decision to treat is made patients wait on average just four days to start cancer treatment uh, and of course we recognise uh, that improvements particularly on the 62-day pathway require to be made uh, which is why we're investing uh, £40 million uh, over five years to support cancer services improve cancer waiting times uh, and, of course, to ensure earlier detection of cancer. Anna Sarwar. The answer the First Minister was looking for was 3,057. Since the election campaign last year, when Nicola Sturgeon made a promise to focus on COVID recovery and cancer catch-up, over 3,000 cancer patients have not started their treatment on time. And this is a problem that predates the pandemic. In the eight years Nicola Sturgeon has been First Minister, she has never, never met the 62-day treatment standard. And things are so bad that last week The Lancet revealed that senior staff at the Beetson even had to consider rationing chemotherapy because they do not have the resources they need. That is a situation this government is entirely responsible for. We know the earlier you are diagnosed and the quicker you start treatment, the more likely you are to survive. That is true for cancer, but also for many other conditions too. So can I ask the First Minister, how many people currently waiting for a diagnostic test, including for cancer, have already waited more than the six-week standard. 
First Minister. Uh, there are many people waiting more than the six-week standard uh, for dino. I'm happy to provide the figure uh, later uh, on, but I think it's important uh, to uh, address the substance uh, of the issue. So we saw the latest diagnostic uh, stats at the end of uh, May. Uh, there were uh, 155,000 uh, people waiting uh, for one of eight key diagnostic uh, tests. Uh, that, uh, of course, is not all people waiting over uh, the target time. But we are investing significantly um, in endoscopy radiology services to bring uh, those waiting times down. So, for example, to specifically uh, support scope-based diagnostics, we've published a £70 million endoscopy and urology diagnostic recovery uh, and renewal plan. Uh, we're also investing £9 million in this financial year to support diagnostic imaging capacity. Um, in terms of the overall situation with the 62-day uh, pathway, more uh, patients are being seen within uh, that pathway. Uh, that means more patients are being treated as eligible for that pathway. Um, the 31-day uh, target has been met. Uh, with the 62-day target, although the target has not been met, more patients are being seen on that pathway, and the median wait is 47 days. In terms of, before I come on to the final point, Presiding Officer, in terms of resourcing, we recognise the pressure that NHS staff are under. But under this government, there has been a 95% increase in consultant oncologists and a 63% increase in consultant radiologists. Uh, so that, I think, is testament uh, to the commitment this government has. Uh, finally, on early diagnosis, uh, we absolutely accept the importance of early diagnosis, which is why we continue to invest in the £44 million Detect Cancer Early programme, and, of course, why we are investing in early detection centres uh, around the country. Anna Sarwar. The answer the First Minister was looking for, again, was 78,310 waiting more than six weeks for a diagnostic test. Now, I actually asked the First Minister the exact same question a year ago. The answer then was 44,516, an increase of 76 per cent. And when I told the First Minister that number last year, she said, and I quote, this has been my focus and the focus of the government literally seven days a week sometimes what has felt like almost 24 hours a day. And that will be the case for as long as is necessary. That was pandemic Nicola, who also promised the COVID recovery would be her priority in this parliament. But this week on Tuesday, the worst cancer waiting times on record. On Wednesday, the outgoing chair of the BMA begged you for the tools to make the health service work. And today, the front page of the Daily Record has nurses warning the working in hospital wards is like hell on earth. The recovery hasn't even started yet. In fact, things have got worse. Instead, we've gone back to the divisive Nicola Sturgeon, who is now spending seven days a week, sometimes what feels like 24 hours a day, focusing on what she cares about, breaking up our country and dividing our people, not rebuilding it. Before I call the First Minister, I will just remind all members of the requirement to use first and surnames. First Minister. Signing officer, firstly, I think it's perhaps uh, Anna Sarwar that has lost a bit of focus over uh, the last period, because in the period he's talking about, what he seems to want to forget is that there have been three further waves of uh, a pandemic. We've seen staff absences, for example, impacting on, impacting on the performance of the National Health Service. Secondly, presiding officer, 
Secondly, presiding officer, uh, he talks about the tools for the National Health Service. So let me just focus a little bit on the tools this government is providing the National Health Service. NHS staffing uh, up by just under 30,000 whole-time equivalents. That's 23.5 per cent uh, to a record high under uh, this government, higher staffing per head than NHS England, uh, record funding for our National Health Service, uh, the best performing, still with challenges, but the best performing accident and emergency services anywhere in the UK for over six years uh, running, uh, higher spend per head than anywhere else in the UK. So these are the tools we are giving our frontline uh, staff. And of course, we are paying, just as is the case with police officers, we are paying frontline staff in Scotland more than is the case in England and Wales. And secondly, presiding officer, uh, thirdly rather, presiding officer, to come on to uh, Anna Sarwar's uh, political uh, point, uh, which uh, I want to address, because this is, this is the point. He wants to back up the Conservatives on this point. I want to free Scotland from the Conservatives, presiding officer, because the worst thing that could ever happen to our NHS uh, is to continue to have Conservative governments cutting the budget Members. of this government and this parliament. That's why having the powers of independence is good for our country, including our National Health Service. Move to supplementary questions, and I call Stuart McMillan. Thank you, President Officer. Can the First Minister highlight what discussions the Scottish Government has had with the aviation industry in Scotland regarding the busy summer period? First Minister. Uh, the Transport Minister is in regular contact with the aviation sector uh, and has had recent discussions on services during the summer holidays. Uh, back in May, the Minister wrote to the UK Government about significant delays at some airports in England, noting that these would concern people in Scotland, of course, who plan to travel uh, soon from them. She sought assurances that the UK Government is taking action to ensure that there is no repetition of the inconvenience caused to passengers and businesses this summer. Uh, we have had no response yet, but we will continue to press UK ministers to ensure there are adequate staffing levels in place at international border controls at Scottish airports. Of course, part of the challenge is that there are now controls in place for visits to and from EU countries, uh, yet another consequence of a Brexit that Scotland did not uh, vote for and another reason for us to be in charge of our own future. Douglas Lumsden. <laughs> Sir, this week the Press and Journal reported that Aberdeenshire Council had requested 49 new secondary school teachers to start in August, but have secured only 25. First Minister, there is a problem up and down the country in our rural areas in attracting new teachers, while other parts of the country have received more new teaching graduates than they need. So what steps will your government take to help rural authorities attract the new teaching staff that they need to ensure our pupils in the North East are not left behind? First Minister. We will continue to work with local authorities um, to ensure that teacher recruitment is supported. Local authorities, are, of course, are responsible for both recruitment and deployment of their staff, but ultimately it is a decision for teachers uh, where they decide to work. Uh, no minister uh, can dictate this. Probationer teachers choose five local authorities where they would be willing to work to complete their probation year and are allocated a place balancing their choice with local need. Uh, local authorities, though, also have the autonomy to provide incentives to attract teachers to their area, and we know that some have already offered initiatives like free housing for an extended period. Jackie Bailey. At the end of last week, The Lancet reported on the crisis at the Beats and West of Scotland Cancer Centre. Leaked emails about a system that is stretched 
to the limits of endurance. Other cancer centres across Scotland described as being at breaking point. And the causes of this predate the pandemic. This is what one consultant oncologist had to say to me. Due to the lack of staff, rundown equipment, failure to plan for the future, this current situation of rationing cancer care was entirely predictable. He went on, the NHS and cancer care is run like a budget airline and Greater Glasgow and Clyde NHS spends more time firefighting than forward thinking. First Minister, your government is in charge of the NHS in Scotland. You have been warned again and again by clinicians, by patients, and yes, indeed, by politicians, but you simply don't listen. So can I ask the First Minister, according to this consultant, why the £10 million budget allocated for cancer waiting times has been cut to just £1.5 million? First Minister. Well, I know Jackie Bailey uh, would not want uh, in any way to uh, distress patients. Um, I know how hard consultants are working and I take very seriously, I take very seriously the comments of consultants. But uh, the point I think it is also important to make is NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde have confirmed, and I'm quoting here, there are no plans to increase service length, stop treatments early or interrupt schedules. Uh, any service delivery suggestions that would have been detrimental to patients were immediately uh, rejected. Uh, and let me confirm, as outlined in our Health and Social Care National Workforce Strategy, we are investing £10 million in our cancer therapy and acute oncology workforce in order to keep up with the growing demand on services. We've also convened a national oncology task force, bringing together board chief executives and medical directors to consider further national solutions. So we are taking these issues uh, seriously and will continue to do so. But the final point I'll make is this, presenting offer. I think I made it in response to Anna Sarwar. Since this government took office, there has been more than a 90%, 90% increase in consultant oncologists working within our National Health Service. Uh, so that is an indication of the priority we attach to these services and will continue to work uh, with the workforce to support them in delivering services to patients. Bob Doris. Presiding officer, Drivability Scotland and my constituents provide essential driving assessments for disabled drivers and offer them support and advice. Appointments are secured in as short as six weeks, which may otherwise take off over six months using the NHS National Facility in Lothian. Drivability Scotland may be forced to close later this year, increasing NHS waiting times for disabled drivers desperately needing assessments. I have raised this matter also with the Minister for Public Health. Can I ask the First Minister to do what she can to urgently secure at least some form of bridging funding for Drivability Scotland to allow them to continue to operate for the benefit of disabled drivers whilst the NHS review the current under-pressure NHS provision, provision I hope in the future will also involve using Drivability Scotland. First Minister. The Government has already been engaged on this issue. We have been working with the Drivability Scotland service to explore different options. I understand that a draft business plan has been prepared by NHS Lothian's driving assessment team for the establishment of an additional centre in Glasgow, and this is currently being considered by NHS National Services for Scotland. Uh, the Public Health Minister will keep uh, Bob Doris appraised when NSS reaches its conclusion on these proposals. Sue Webber. Thank you, Presiding Officer. In 2005-2006, 1,929 people were admitted to residential drug and alcohol services in Scotland. But in 2021-22, just 511 placements were approved. That's a drop of nearly 75%. I've heard time and time again that rehabilitation gives people the hope they need for their recovery. So, First Minister, at a time when drug-related deaths have spiralled out of control, 
Can I ask why successive SNP governments continue to fail some of our most vulnerable people by slashing capacity in residential rehab by three quarters? And will the First Minister now finally throw her weight behind our Right to Recovery Bill, which will enshrine in law the right to residential rehab? First Minister. If Sue Webber is, is telling me that that bill has been published this morning, I, I welcome that because I cannot throw my weight behind a bill that I literally have not seen. Um, but I, well, the, Douglas Ross is saying I, have to, I can't agree to a bill unless the bill has been seen. So if he wants to publish the bill. I have on many occasions in this chamber said I have an open mind Members. and want to give as much support to the bill as possible. But I think, again, most reasonable people uh, would understand that I can't support a bill that I literally have not seen because it has not been published. Now, on residential rehab, again, I think important though Mr. Roberts' question is, it doesn't take account uh, of the recent investments and developments in uh, the sphere of residential rehab. Uh, we're providing additional funding of £250 million over this Parliament in part to support residential rehab. We're working uh, with alcohol and drug partnerships across Scotland to develop clearer and more consistent pathways into and then from uh, rehab, uh, because we know people with problem drug or alcohol uh, misuse often have other needs. Uh, so we have uh, allocated £20 million of additional funding for residential rehab, and that is uh, being used. Five million of that is being channelled directly to ADPs to support pathways and placements. Foisal Chowdhury. <clears throat> Thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, in the last two weeks, I have received many reports from the constituents who are serving police officers in the Lothian region. As they are serving police officers, I shall not name them. They, they include a single mother hit off hard by raising childcare, uh, child food and energy costs at, uh, that she can only make and meet by borrowing from her parents. A young police officer forced to move back in with his parents because he cannot afford rent. Police officers forced to rely on food banks. Does the First Minister think that having a police force in this state is healthy in a developed nation? And what is the Scottish Government going to do about it? First Minister. Um, no, I don't think that is acceptable, but nor do I think it acceptable for anybody, uh, particularly those in any of our public services, uh, to be dealing with a situation where inflation is almost at 10 per cent. Uh, food prices are rising, energy prices are rising, um, and the powers to deal effectively with that do not lie within this parliament. What uh, lies with this government, of course, is around uh, police officer pay, and I've already uh, said that the process of negotiation is underway. I hope it will conclude uh, constructively and fairly uh, very soon. Uh, but it starts from a base, of course, uh, where police officers in Scotland uh, coming uh, into the force are already paid more uh, than in England and Wales. And last year in Scotland got a pay uplift that the majority of officers elsewhere in the UK did not get. Uh, that does not make life easy for our police officers or any other public sector worker, but we will continue to value them, not just in rhetoric, but in action. But we need to see action taken on the cost of living to reduce these pressures on police officers and everybody else across our country. Question number three, Jamie Green. Uh, to ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to reduce breakdowns on ferry services to Scotland's islands. First Minister. Uh, we fully understand frustrations encountered uh, by passengers during disruptions and therefore remain committed to 
ongoing support for vital lifeline services. Since 2018, uh, we have made £14.5 million of funding available for upgrades on the CalMac uh, vessels um, through the introduction of the Ferries Resilience Fund. Uh, that has helped primarily to replace obsolete systems and reduce the likelihood of breakdown on older vessels. Uh, we are also committed to investing a further £580 million in the Infrastructure Investment Plan. CMAL has also been tasked with finding suitable additional second-hand tonnage for use on both ferry networks. Uh, this led, for example, to the successful introduction of the MV Loch Frieza on the Mull route. Um, and finally, overall, since 2007, this government has invested over £2 billion in the Clyde and Hebrides ferry service, the Northern Isles ferry service and ferry infrastructure. Jamie Green. I have to say frustration is an un, uh, a complete underestimation of the strength of feeling on our island communities. You only need to go there and ask what they feel about the ferry services. The problem is, First Minister, is over half of the CalMac fleet is way beyond its 25-year life expectancy. The average age of a vessel in Scotland is now 24 years, almost a generation, presiding officer. And the cost of ageing vessels is £84 million of repairs over five years. It's not two new vessels that CalMac needs. It's nearly two dozen. And the problem is the government has known this. They've seen this coming for many years, and they haven't been building that pipeline of ferries that we need to replace these ageing vessels. Can I ask you, First Minister, the chair of Mull and Iona Ferry Committee said on the record that Scotland has one of the worst public ferry services in the world. First of all, do you agree with that comment? And if not, why not? But secondly, I know the First Minister has the 19th of October next year pencilled in her diary, apparently. Can I ask if the two new vessels sitting at Ferguson Marine in Port Glasgow will be sailing and serving passengers by the 19th of October 2023? Or does the First Minister perhaps have other things on her mind? First Minister. The completion timetable for the two ferries, of course, is uh, a matter in the public domain, um, and that is what uh, is being worked uh, to deliver. Uh, yes, the ferry fleet is ageing. That is uh, the whole point of the Resilience Fund that was established in 2018, and uh, partly the point of the Infrastructure uh, Investment Plan, which, of course, is backed by a further £580 million. Pounds. It is vital that our island communities have access to reliable uh, ferries, and that is exactly what the government will continue to be focused on delivering. Jenny Minto. Thank you, Presiding Officer. I was impacted by a ferry breakdown on Monday this week, but thanks to the excellent CalMac staff, I and other ferry users were able to get on later ferries. Would the First Minister agree with me that the staff of CalMac work tirelessly to help all their customers when breakdowns happen? First Minister. Absolutely. The CalMac staff do an excellent job. They often do that job in really difficult circumstances, and I want to recognise and acknowledge you that. You might not want to thank them. You might not want to thank them. Officer, the, the Conservatives clearly don't want to hear me thank uh, those who work on the CalMac Members, uh, services. we will hear the First Minister. Thank you, Presiding Officer, because I do want to take the opportunity uh, of thanking everybody who works in CalMac uh, for the excellent service they provide to the travelling public. Question number four, Joe Fitzpatrick. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister, as the end of Pride Month approaches, whether she will provide an update on the implementation of Scotland's world-leading LGBT inclusive education. First Minister. The recommendations of the 
LGBTI Inclusive Education Working Group were published in November 2019 and accepted in full by the Scottish Government. Good progress has been made by the LGBT Inclusive Education Implementation Group in delivering on the recommendations. The Implementation Group have, in partnership with COSLA, promoted effective delivery of LGBT inclusive education in all Scottish schools and engage with young people to seek their views and experiences. The LGBTeducation.scot website is also a very important resource. It contains a toolkit of inclusive education resources and a basic awareness e-learning course for education staff on LGBT inclusive education. The implementation group plan to deliver the remaining recommendations by the end of the next academic year. I thank the First Minister for her answer and would like to put on record my thanks to the Thai campaign for all of their work in making Scotland the first country in the world to embed LGBT inclusive education across the school curriculum. Can the First Minister outline how the Scottish Government will ensure consistency of delivery in all schools across Scotland? First Minister. Firstly, can I also uh, take the opportunity to pay tribute to the Thai campaign? I'm proud to be wearing uh, their badge today and I see many members uh, wearing their lanyards. Uh, they have done uh, a great job uh, and made uh, Scotland the first country in the world uh, to have LGBT inclusive uh, education. Uh, in terms of the point about consistency, uh, of course we want all pupils to benefit from this. So to support consistent delivery, resources and services have been developed. Uh, these are freely provided uh, to schools uh, on the lgbteducation.scot website. It is, of course, for local authorities and individual schools to decide what resources they use to deliver the curriculum. Uh, a national uh, framework of communication, however, is under development, and that will set out national expectations in this area as part of the ongoing effort to ensure consistency of uptake and principles for effective teaching and learning. Question number five, Mercedes Vialba. To ask the First Minister what progress the Scottish Government is making towards introducing an effective national system of rent controls by the end of 2025, as set out in its strategy, a new deal for tenants. First Minister. Uh, this week, our proposals for strength and protection for private tenants against eviction were agreed by Parliament. Uh, rising rents cause tenants hardship, and that's why we've already committed to introducing rent controls during this Parliament. Uh, we're currently working to ensure that the model delivered is evidence-based and also robust, uh, thereby giving long-lasting benefit to tenants. Uh, we are carefully considering around 930 responses and over 8,000 uh, campaign responses to the New Deal for Tenants consultation, uh, also meeting with key stakeholders, which is an essential step in delivering a system that actually works, uh, and we will be undertaking further consultation on the detail. However, we continue to support tenants now, including through committing £83 million in discretionary housing payments this year. Mercedes Fialba. There is a cost-of-living emergency engulfing the country. As we speak, tenants are being forced out of their homes by eye-watering rent hikes. Yeah. Every single one of us in this parliament has a responsibility to act with urgency. Yeah, 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 yeah. So can the First Minister outline what practical intervention the Scottish Government will make this year, in 2022, to cap or at least limit rent increases? Yeah. First Minister. Well, firstly, I agree, uh, I agree with much of the sentiment actually of the question and I agree we have a duty to act urgently and I'll come back to what this government is doing in a moment, but we also have a duty to act legally, otherwise what yeah. we do uh, will not benefit tenants in the way that we intend it to. Uh, through the 2016 Act, uh, we already have the strongest 
uh, tenancy protections here in Scotland uh, anywhere in the UK. Uh, landlords are already uh, under a number of uh, limitations uh, and we are committed to introducing a housing bill that will further strengthen these existing rights uh, by improving rent adjudication uh, and setting out the, the framework for the delivery of new rent controls. But it's important that we get that right because if we don't uh, and a legal challenge was successful, then we do not help tenants in the way that I accept the member absolutely wants to. Uh, and then coming on uh, to the issue of what we are doing now, uh, this government is this year investing almost £3 billion uh, in helping people with the cost of living. Uh, that includes £83 million for discretionary housing payments. Uh, that helps to support the mitigation of the bedroom tax and to support wider housing costs. And that investment is a really important tool used to safeguard uh, tenancy. So we continue to lead the way in the UK in protecting the rights of tenants and supporting tenants. Uh, but of course, if we didn't have to mitigate things like the bedroom tax, if we had more powers uh, to deal with these issues and also to deal with the root causes of the cost of living crisis, rather than these powers remaining, as the Labour member seems to want them to do, in the hands of Conservative governments at Westminster, this Parliament would be able to do so much more. Question number six, Maggie Chapman. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what recent discussions the Scottish Government has had with the UK Government regarding the provision of accommodation for asylum seekers based in Scotland. First Minister. The Social Justice Secretary spoke to the UK Government Immigration Minister in April uh, when he set out a change in policy to assume full asylum dispersal across the UK. Uh, in May, the Home Office then began an informal consultation on implementation to which we will be responding. The Scottish Government supports widened asylum dispersal in principle, of course we do, but participation must be voluntary for local authorities and the Home Office must work in partnership with them as well as support third sector support organisations who do provide vital support to those seeking asylum. Uh, while the funding announced for local authorities is a positive step, it must be sustainable over the long term and be at a level that provides support for asylum seekers and for local communities. Maggie Chapman. I thank the First Minister for that response. She will be aware that there are now 450 refugees and asylum seekers housed in hotels in Aberdeen. She will also be aware of the dreadful acceleration in loss of life in the UK asylum accommodation system, where hotels are becoming institutional accommodation for vulnerable people. Given that mental health and the investigation of deaths are devolved matters, will the First Minister support the design and implementation of a Scottish monitoring and lessons learnt system for all deaths in Scotland of people in asylum accommodation or immigration detention here? And will she additionally commit her government to participate fully in phase two of Baroness Helena, Kennedy's, Helena Kennedy QC's inquiry into the Glasgow asylum seeker deaths and signal her expectation that other Scottish public agencies will do likewise. First Minister. Oh, can I thank Maggie Chapman for, for that question? I think, um, as is demonstrated in the actions we take, this government will always seek to use our devolved powers to the full uh, to support asylum seekers uh, wherever and uh, whenever we can. Asylum and immigration, though, are reserved matters, um, and we have raised a variety of issues directly with the UK government on our very real concerns and growing concerns over accommodation and treatment of 
asylum seekers, and that includes accommodation and appropriate support, as well as adequate funding to public services. Uh, we have also repeatedly requested detail of any investigation undertaken by the Home Office following deaths in asylum accommodation in Glasgow, and we have requested an update on the status of recommendations in an internal Home Office report on asylum accommodation during the pandemic. That appeared in the media in April, but has not yet been made public. Finally, uh, we have not yet received any approach to participate in the inquiry led by Baroness Kennedy, but of course we will respond positively and appropriately should we do so. Question number seven, Rachel Hamilton. Ask Minister whether the Scottish Government will respond to reported calls by the industry to establish a gamekeeping task force to tackle abuse of rural workers. First Minister. Abuse of any worker is totally unacceptable, uh, and of course that includes gamekeepers and other rural workers. The Scottish Government has no plans at this stage to establish a specific uh, task force on uh, that issue. However, we are committed to engaging with gamekeepers and other land managers on the issues they face. Uh, the Environment and Land Reform Minister, alongside Scottish Government officials, meets regularly with land management stakeholders, including organisations directly representing gamekeepers. I expect that engagement to continue, including discussions on specific issues relating to gamekeeping, uh, now and as we move forward with tackling the biodiversity and climate emergencies. Rachel Hamilton. I thank the First Minister for that answer. Uh, Scottish Government uh, commissioned SIUC research revealed staggering levels of abuse and vitriol suffered by these rural workers. In light of this, Basque has made a renewed call for the creation of a gamekeeping task force. Presiding officer, rural workers are Scotland's de facto countryside custodians, protecting biodiversity and tackling climate change. And with the avian flu pressures and the ongoing cost of living crisis, there are significant pressures on the mental health of rural workers. So can I make a renewed call to the First Minister to meet with me and rural workers and rural representatives to set the wheels in motion, to give them the protection that they rightly deserve? First Minister. Well, firstly, can I agree wholeheartedly uh, with the members' points about the importance of rural uh, workers, not just to our rural communities, but to the, the health and well-being and prosperity of our country overall? I made many of these points uh, personally uh, when I had the, the pleasure of attending uh, the Royal Highlands show at the end of last week. Um, I have said in my opening answer that the Government has no plans at this stage to establish a specific gamekeeping task force. However, in the interest of trying uh, to get consensus here, given that the issue has been raised and a renewed request uh, has been made for that, I will uh, ask the Environment Minister uh, to consider uh, whether that may uh, have a part to play um, and uh, revert back to the member in due course. Uh, notwithstanding what the decision on that might be, though, I would ask the member to accept that we uh, absolutely prioritise ongoing engagement with land management stakeholders, including gamekeepers, and that engagement will continue and will continue to respond uh, to concerns that are raised and work to resolve these concerns. And I'll ask the uh, Minister uh, also to meet with the member to update on these matters. So this issue is important. We may uh, ultimately disagree on exactly uh, the structures and formats uh, through which we resolve these issues, but I hope uh, there is complete unity here on the fact uh, that we do need to resolve them and support those working in our rural communities. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. Point of order, Alex Cole-Hamilton. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, the Guardian has uncovered an internal Scottish Government memo which confirms, and I quote, 
that it almost certainly made changes to legislation at the request of the Queen's lawyers. Alterations to exempt Crown interests in the royal household from certain aspects of law were even made before legislation was introduced to this Parliament. We don't know what changes were made or even which bills were changed. And I think that Parliament and the public deserve to see and understand those changes. So can I ask your guidance, presiding officer, how Parliament and the people of this country can get sight of the changes made to legislation at the request of the Queen's lawyers before it was introduced to this Parliament? Um, I thank Mr Cole Hamilton for his contribution. Parliament has, of course, taken steps to increase transparency and awareness of this process. But as this is a matter that relates to pre-introduction of the bill, it is entirely a matter for the government. Um, that concludes First Minister's questions. And we will now move on to the next item of 